Hello there, everybody. This is Tyler. This is Danny. We're in Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. This week's going to be some Lair of the White Worm, in case you haven't read the title of the episode yet. But we'll get there. The first part is we got to get stoned. So far, green hits. Danny, what you got me smoking on here? All right. So once again, went by our friends over at Flower and picked up Six-pack of Nick the Bruiser. So I think this is one I've brought over before, but for those who are unfamiliar, this particular strain, it is noted because it gives off sweet and floral notes that are pulled together with a fuel-like OG funk. Now, the parent strains on this are Eastside OG and Fire 18. And for this, it's considered a hybrid strain, but over at Flower, they consider it their sativa strain. Mm -hmm. Right, so with this... This is good for patients who are looking to conquer symptoms associated with like anxiety, arthritis, chronic pain, muscle spasms, and nausea. It doesn't really give any profile as far as notes, as far as terpenes or anything like that. So this one's still kind of a little bit of an unknown, an unknown one. Okay. This week, I was lazy as fuck. <laughs> it was fucking time change bullshit. Fuck that. I didn't get out of my fucking bed this morning, but that's okay because I still was able to load you a bowl of Montana Silvertip. If you listened last week, I did the same damn thing. <laughs> Look, Silvertip, long been one of my favorite strains now. Across a GDP and Super Silver Haze, kind of a little bit of the best of both worlds. You get the relaxing from the Indica side, but still a little bit of the uppy head bit from the Sativa side. So great taste. Always great. And I believe this was from uh, Top Shelf. Nice. Yeah. Like we said, this week is going to be Lair of the White Worm. But before we get there, we just want to remind you about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Fried Squirms. Even at the lowest level, you could have listened to this last week. At the highest level, you'll get all sorts of bonuses for whatever else we start putting out. And if you listened to a couple weeks ago, we got shit that we know is going to be coming out for at least that middle level. So go check that shit out. I think we got a survey up there for other things that you might want to see us offer in the future as we work on doing this better. But like I said, patreon.com slash fried squirms. Danny, how about we get into the guts and bolts of Lair the White Worm? Guts and bolts. All right, guts and bolts. Who and what went into the making of this movie? Spoiler-free for now. We'll get to that in a bit. Start off with our spoiler-free setup for Lair of the White Worm. Oh, God. What do I say that's spoiler-free? I guess, I mean, it's not that complicated, but a... Is he an archaeology student? Is he an actual... Per- I, what they is say he? he's an archaeologist. Okay, so that like, it is his profession. Archaeologist digs up a mysterious skull at the site of a former convent in England. And around the same time that the women that own the place that he's boarding are searching for their parents who have recently went missing. And things start to take a sinister turn. And could these be connected? (laughs) That makes it sound more like a mystery. I I mean, I guess it kind of is for part of the movie. I don't know. Shit happens. Things slither. We'll we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And of course, from week to week, we like to talk about the cast and crew of our film. And this week, a director, I'm surprised it's taken us this long to talk about, but that's okay. That's why we're here. We're talking about Ken Russell. 
Now, he actually helped write the screenplay for this, but some of his directorial credits include such things as Women in Love, which actually garnered him some pretty good notoriety because, mainly, it was his Oscar-winning film. Now, he also directed the 1971 film The Devils. He's also known for The Who's Tommy in 1975. He also directed Altered States, coincidentally enough, if you want to call it that. William Hurt passed away today, mm-hmm. who was in the starring role in that film. So, huh, it's kind of weird that we're talking about it. Right. <laughs> I know, right? Now, he also directed several films based off of classical composers, most notably Elgar, Delius, Tchaikovsky, Mahler, and Litzt, which is really interesting. He also directed such uh, experimental films as like The Lion's Mouth and Revenge of the Elephant Man. Very notorious director. We'll talk about some very big bad reasons why here in the next section. But along with the screenplay, this was based loosely on the novel of the same name by Bram Stoker. All right, the cinematographer on this is actually a gentleman we talked about before. Quite arguably, you could say one of the top three names, period, in horror. This guy's name's Dick Bush. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, Dick Bush, Dick Warlock. I was going to say Dick Warlock's the other one. <laughs> so, anyhow, we talked about Mr. Bush back on episode 122 because he was a cinematographer on The Blood on Satan's Claw. Oh, shit. Really okay. dope. Yeah, yeah. And a few other films of note from him. He was a cinematographer on the 1966 TV movie Alice in Wonderland. I heard that one was pretty wild. Mm. Now, he also helped on the 1972 film, Dracula AD 1972. He's also the DP on Savage Messiah. He was the DP on Mahler. He's also the DP on Tommy, the film The Hound of the Baskervilles, the film Yanks. One I've talked about a couple different times. For those who kind of like this kind of stuff, check out The Philadelphia Experiment. It's about a ship that basically just disappeared in plain mm-hmm. sight all right stuff like that but yeah those are just a few films of note um let's see another one actually i think probably you and i both have seen it's a howie mandel film fred savage film a little film called little monsters oh, shit. Yeah, it's dude. been a long ass time since i've seen little monsters yeah and he also did 1993 son of the pink panther oh okay all right our editor on this is peter davies a gentleman who's known for quite a few James Bond films, which include Octopussy, A View to Kill, and The Living Daylights. The music was composed by Stanislav Sierwicz, and this gentleman is known for the film Stalin. He's also known for the film Holcraft Covenant, the film Chillers, and the film Extreme Ops. The special effects on this was done by Image Animation. Now, here's a little bit of trivia, but since we're already right here with this team, they were simultaneously doing the special effects for... Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Oh, wow. At the same time, yeah, which is really neat. All right, now this was produced by Dan Ireland, William J. Quickly, Ken Russell, and Ronaldo Vasconcelos. Production company on this was White Lair. The distributor on this was Vestron Pictures for the 1988 United States theatrical release and the 1989 United Kingdom theatrical release. It had quite a few release dates, one of them being September 14, 1988 at the Toronto International Film Festival in Canada, October 21st, 1988 here in the States, and March 10th, 1989 in the United Kingdom. It had an estimated budget of about $2.5 million and grossed... A little bit less than half of that at 1.2 million. 
All right, so moving into our cast, we've got some really interesting people. I'm going to start off actually with Amanda Donahoe. She plays okay. Lady Sylvia Marsh. All right, now some people might recognize her because she actually appeared in some of Adam Ant in the Ants music videos, which is really neat. Some of those include Ant Music and Stand of the Liver. I kept looking at her and wondering, why is she so fucking familiar? Why have I seen her before? And then I looked at her filmography. I'm like, I don't think I've seen hardly. Oh, there it is. Liar, liar. That's awesome, isn't it? Miranda, yep. Now, she was in the film The Rainbow, which I believe was the follow-up film for Ken Russell. Yeah, she mm. was, yep, uh, in the following year. There's another actress here, and I mentioned uh, in a moment. I want to mention it was in that as well. Now, she was also in the 2008 film Starship Troopers 3, Marauder. Which I guess I have seen that, but I don't remember her in it. Yeah, she's been in quite a few things as far as television. She was in L.A. Law back in 1990 through 1992, where she was in a, a main role as Cara Jean C.J. Lamb, which is really neat. Looks like she's been in a couple of like episodic you know, um, serials and things like that, which is really neat. More recently, stuff like uh, Emmerdale. Yeah, that was back in 2009 through 10. She's been in stage as well, so yeah, good on her. All right, we have... A very young Hugh Grant in this film who plays the role of Lord James Dempton. Now, I think a lot of people probably in our generation know him for a lot of several different reasons, but uh, just a few films of note from him. He was in uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. He was in the film Notting Hill, Bridget Jones's Diary, the film About a Boy. He was in Two Weeks Notice, Love Actually, Music and Lyrics. How much further do you want to get into his career? Because he's got quite a few. I'm films. looking at. I'm trying to think of when was the first time that I saw him. Yeah, that's a good point. And I know that I saw Ford Weddings and a Funeral, but I can't tell you shit about that fucking movie. It's been no. since I was a kid that I saw it. And I actually doubt that I saw it first. I feel like I saw something else first and then saw that later. Yep. Mm. Wow. Yeah, like actually recognized who he was. I honestly, I probably Mickey was. Blue Eyes. Minky Blue Eyes was probably my first Hugh Grant. No, it definitely would have been nine months for me, because that's a night. yeah, it would have been nine months with Julianne Moore. Oh, see, I did see nine months, but I didn't see it till later. I saw it, like, years later when they had it on yeah, like, I mean, HBO at some point. Not that we have to bring it up, and not that it should be that important, but, you know, he had a, he had a little bit of a run-in with the law back in the day, and... Yep. You know, so that's all <laughs> I'll say about that. Now, here's something interesting. I know we've talked about this before. Actually... Ooh, I want to say out of nowhere, he was fucking fantastic in the latest Guy Ritchie. Yeah? The gentleman, he was great in it. That's good, man. That's good mm-hmm. to hear. Now, I overheard you and Zach yeah. talk about the doctors. Right. Right. Now, here's something really cool. In 1999, he was the 12th doctor in the TV special Doctor Who and the Curse of Fatal Death. The Curse of Fatal Death is a really funny little offshoot i don't, did you read about that at all yeah a little bit what it is because you also have rowan atkinson as the doctor yeah it is pretty wild <laughs> <laughs> i i'm not going to get into it right now i don't remember all the details i've looked it up before i've never actually seen it to be honest but yeah uh but that's wild considering who the other leading man in this movie is uh, exactly which we're about to bring up here in just a moment all right, moving forward, we have Catherine Oxenberg. She plays a role of Eve Trent. She is one of the sisters in the film. 
few films of note from her. She was in the film Overexposed. Some people might have seen her in the Omega Code. She was also in the film Sanctimony. She was also part of Starship Troopers 3 Marauder. She was really known in the 80s because of her role in Dynasty. That was back in 84 all the way through 86. And she played Diana, Princess Diana, in a couple of different TV movies, one of them being Unhappily Ever After. That's a Charles and Diana story. Now, I'm going to bring up some interesting things about maybe her background because she's actually of royalty. Her mom is Princess Elizabeth of Yugoslavia, which is pretty wild. Fucking what? Yes. (laughs) Now... On top of that, Starship Troopers should ring a bell, right? I'm like, why would you even bring that up? Because if you look at one of her former husbands. Oh, she was married to Casper Van Dien? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's something that's wild, too. Now, one of her, I don't think she was married to this guy, but one of her children, their dad was a notorious drug smuggler. Mm. He was arrested for it in like 1992. It's like, why even bring that up? Well, it's kind of pertains to what we do because he, at the time, smuggled drugs, I want to say to Europe from Washington State. Okay. And when I looked at the total amount, I'm like, it's just pot. 65 fucking tons. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of pot. Yeah, dude. I'm like, holy shit. I don't think I've ever seen that much pot in my life. I will never see that much pot in that's my life. That's a lot of fucking pot. Yeah, so that's a little interesting side nugget there. So anyway, that's Catherine Oxenberg. All right, now you've already mentioned another doctor, Peter Capaldi, plays the role of Angus Flint in this. Pretty interesting thing about him. He's got some really cool credits. He's got some really cool fucking credits. Yeah, there's... The thick of it's probably the biggest thing before Doctor Who. I've got a few things, I think, probably of note for, for some people who will listen to us is uh he was in the film dangerous liaisons he was in franz kafka's it's a wonderful life he was in the film bean with rowan atkinson <laughs> he was in world war z he was doctor that what was it the 14th doctor he's 12 is he 12 yeah you're right he's a 12th incarnation okay yeah that was back in uh 2013 through 17 he was also in the films paddington one and two he was also in the film Christopher Robin, which is really neat. And more recently, he was in The Suicide Squad. Yep. Which is really dope. So here's the f- funny little bit. First off, with his appearance in World War Z, he played a doctor from the World Health Organization. Yeah. So he's right. credited as Who Doctor. doctor. <laughs> That's funny. Second little bit. Minor spoiler, but it's not going to be in any context, so this doesn't make any sense since we are in the spoiler-free section. There is a Roman aspect to this movie. Now, before he was cast as the Doctor, he had already appeared in Doctor Who on an episode having to do with Pompeii. That's wild. In which he was like the Roman mayor. (laughs) That's so funny, man. All these coincidences. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. All right. We have Sammy Davis. She plays the role of Mary Trent, which is the other sister in the Trent Sisters. A few films of note for her. She was in the film A Prayer for the Dying. She was in the film Lionheart. Some people might recognize her in the film The Rainbow. She was in the segment The Missing Ingredient in the film Four Rooms, which I highly recommend. She was also in the television series Homefront from 1991 through 1993. All right, we have Stratford Johns. He plays the role of Peters, which is the butler in this film. He was in the film Cromwell. 
He was also in the film Salome's Last Dance, Splitting Errors, and Scarlet and Black. And, uh, I mean, there's several other people in this film, but as far as, you know, main mm-hmm. characters, I have Paul Brook. He plays the role of PC Police Constable Ernie. And a few things of note from him. He's actually got some really cool credits. He was in the 1972 film. It was a Hammer film called Straight Until Morning. He was um, also in the film For Your Eyes Only. He was in The Return of the Jedi back in 1983. He was in Scandal. Oh, you saw how he is, didn't you? He's the fucking Rancor Keeper. That's pretty crazy. What? That's fucking killer. I thought he looked somewhat familiar. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's... (laughs) <laughs> All right. He was in the film Saving Grace back in 2000, Bridget Jones's Diary back in 2001, the 2004 version of Alfie. He was also in the 2004 film The Phantom of the Opera, and 2005 he was in Oliver Twist. And um, like I said, well, there's other people in this. There's uh, Imogen Clare. She plays the role of Dorothy Trent. Gina McKee, she was Norse Gladwell, which is towards the end of the film. Actually, make, she makes her debut in this film. And Christopher Gable plays the role of Joe Trent, which is the father of the Trent sisters. And uh, Chris Pitt plays Kevin. All right, so that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup. Should give you some warnings. There's so, some sexy stuff going there's on There's some here. sexy stuff. Some nudity. There's some sexual assault. Yeah, oh yeah. You do, The sequence is kind of weird and psychedelic, so it, you don't see it very graphically. But if you're paying yeah. attention to what's going on, it's pretty fucked up actually so <laughs> there is um the desecration of religious imagery oh yeah for sure like if if you're not into that you're just going to turn you off we're going to get into this almost straight off but yeah. it's kind of a vampire movie yeah and it's also there's a, a bit of a creature in this hence the yeah white worm so there's that if you're averse to that stuff Exactly. Mostly, it's good. if you're going to be averse to anything in this, it's probably going to be the fucked up sexy times. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, we'll see. Uh, yeah, I mean, outside of that, there's not very much language. No, not really. Considering, no. no I think we already covered the big bad parts. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into uh, how Lair the White Worm made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, Lair of the White Worm. My first time. Mine as well. So we chose this movie to keep with the theme that we've been doing over the past three. But what I need to open any discussion of this fucking movie with is, are they, do they count as vampires? Are they just fucking snake people? Well, if we're going by Expo in the film, technically, yes, this is a vampire film. But, I mean, that's the, I'm, uh, not really, but on technical points, I guess you can give it to it. Yeah, but they're not vampires. No. Like, we're going to, technically, okay. Yeah, exactly. But it's not. They're snake people. That's what I would call them. <laughs> Slytherins. It's, <laughs> you, nah, I'm, I'm going to wait on that. We'll, we'll get there. No, okay, so going in this, you're I remember partway through the week, you because you watched this in chunks again, right? And you yeah, told me that you had started watching this. And you're like, oh, yeah, fucking it's wild. It's a Ken Russell movie. I'm like, man, I don't know if I've seen any other Ken Russell's movie because I haven't seen Altered States. Okay. I'm like, I don't know if I've seen any. I'm like, I wonder what that means. And then when I was seeing what this was streaming on and I was looking it up, 
I noticed at the bottom of the screen, it was like, other movies by Ken Russell. And I flipped my thumb down for a second. I'm like, oh, Tommy? Yeah, then we're all, I'm all over this bitch because Tommy is just like a fucking like cornerstone of my fucking high school days. They used to run it on VH1 a lot. Mm, that is true. And so one of those times I taped it. Nice, hell yeah. I've watched Tommy so many fucking times. So then you're familiar. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, as soon as I saw that, it was like 10 minutes before I was about to put on the movie anyway, but I was suddenly psyched. I was like, oh, now I know what I'm getting into. This is going to be fucking dope. Nice. And there's going to be some wild, just like psychedelic surrealism in there at some point for no reason. Kind of his trademark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why I was like, I'm all for it, man. Not no reason. It, it, I mean, it serves the story. It does. I'm just exaggerating of course but there's just also other ways you could tell that part of the story and he chooses oh to go wild with it yeah he's just it's like why not why not visually it's a trademark of his mm-hmm. yeah i mean is having a guy in a military uniform does that pop up anywhere besides this and tommy because that also seems like a fucking he had uh hugh grant mm. in that fucking uniform quite a bit exactly I I, w- I don't know because I'm not too familiar outside of Tommy Gothic this film and uh, Altered States. Mm. Those are the only ones I'm very familiar with. Outside of that, I really couldn't tell you. Okay, because I was that was the other thing. I was like, I remember how many times they showed Tommy's dad in uniform, just sort of standing there, being like super stiff and not really not really reacting, but kind of reacting to things yeah. around him. And I was like, so, like, he was doing that during this dream. And it makes me wonder, too, if that was a part of his background growing up. Because I would imagine, you know, he's an Englishman, Mm -hmm. not Ken Russell, that is. So he was around during World War II and the bombing and all that stuff. So I'm sure some of that had an influence on him. Right. To what extent, I don't know. But it wouldn't surprise me if that's a motif. Silly moo, that's no cow, it's got no horns. <laughs> There's some silly dialogue in this film, man. There's, it's a little bit on the, I don't want to necessarily say dark humor, but it, it has some it has some witticism about it. More than any, okay. Like, there's that, and that's true. And it's, it, I've seen some places probably properly label this as a horror comedy. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue that. But it's also not a comedy. It's not a comedy, but there's definitely comedic parts in it. And it's, but also a lot of the comedies from the fact that this movie is dirty as fuck. They're making all sorts of double entendres throughout this entire fucking flick. And some of them are obviously intentional, and some of them I don't know just because of how many are intentional. You know what I mean? Right. You can pretty much almost read, like, is, you're like, yep, that's. Yeah, you can And some of that. it they don't try to hide, but some of it is legit exactly. just like dialogue and stuff, too. Exactly. So you're right. It's a, it's a very sexually themed film, if you're paying attention. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, there's some blatant parts that are pretty obvious. The pen. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny, dude. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's clever, too, because it's, you got to imagine this is like late 80s, and the censor board in England was still very, very fucking strict. As mm-hmm. well, so I'm sure he was doing some clever stuff. Let's see. It starts off fucking the doctor finds the skull, 
girls give them a little shit for it, <laughs> they head off to that dance that night, right? Right, exactly. And that's that was actually Dude, really cool. That song fucking slapped. Yeah. What was it called? The Lampton Worm? Yeah. Yeah. Dampton Worm. Or Dampton, excuse me. Yeah, Lampton is the real one. Yeah. <laughs> so. Real one. Right, 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 right. You guys can't hear my air quotes, but <laughs> but that's yeah, exactly. You're right. But I was thinking the same thing. It's like, damn, that's a lit ass party, man. It looked like fun. Yeah, super heavy foreshadowing. Without even a doubt. the first time through, I was like, oh, okay, this is going to happen <laughs> in some form. Exactly. So all of it's fun. My biggest question from the party, though, which would you rather eat? Pickled earthworms and aspic. Or Rocky Mountain Oysters. Oh, Jesus. I think I'm probably going to go with uh, some hermaphroditic worms on this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to go with that. I don't know if I ever want to eat balls, dude. Yeah, although, dude, I had a look. I didn't know what aspic was. I had to look it up. That shit sounds disgusting, too. Yeah, I mean, none of it sounds good at all. <laughs> like, yeah. like, an I eat meat. You don't eat meat to begin no. with. I eat meat, and aspic sounds fucking disgusting. Because it's, it's savory jelly made from broth yeah, that often that has meat and sound. vegetables and shit in it, like a fucking savory jello mold. I say that does not sound good at all, but Capaldi was all about it. Yeah, dude. He was just <laughs> mowing down on them worms. Now, okay, pickled earthworm, though, maybe not bad. Maybe not bad. Yeah. I've had cricket before. I don't think I ever have. Cricket tastes like hay. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Or I'd imagine cricket probably tastes like whatever the fuck it was eating. Yeah, yeah well, that makes sense, too. That's what I would imagine. Mm. The one I had tasted like hay. <laughs> Here's something that's really interesting. I'm just looking up the word aspic. And it's also a venomous serpent. Asp is the... Oh, right, right. <laughs> so like, That's really cool. So it's a double. I feel like they did a lot of really subtle things like that in this movie. It wouldn't like, surprise me at all. Like, I think there's a reason why Lady Marsh is always wearing garters. Garter snakes. Garter snakes, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, this is, it's a very well thought, even though it's, you know, it's, some of it's silly, mm-hmm. but it's so well thought out. Mainly, I think, too, because... If I'm not mistaken, I was reading a little bit about this. Ken Russell, he was offered to read this novel, right? Right. And he read it, and he was like, ah, he didn't think too highly of it, honestly. Did you see, did you happen to read who else didn't think too highly of it? Tilda Swinton? I mean, no. she that she was actually offered oh, uh, the role of uh, Lady Sylvia. Oh, that would have been wild. Yeah, but that's, no, um, I'm not no, sure. I think way it. older. Oh, shit. I'm honest, I, I don't know. H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn. That's wild. Which makes sense, because this was written, what, in 1911, or it was published in 1911? Yeah, here it is. So, Lovecraft wrote an essay called Supernatural Horror and Literature. And in it, his quote from it is that Stoker utterly ruins a magnificent idea by a development almost infantile. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> That's my DJ. <laughs> Which is interesting because one of the critiques among several of that particular novel, this 
um, you know, Lair of the White Worm, is that it has some racial overtones in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, Lovecraft was probably reading it for those. That's why I'm thinking. He's like, like, I'm here for the racism. (laughs) I'm turned off by how badly he did the rest of it. That's I'm like, wow, that's that's an interesting connection there. Coincidental, maybe, but who knows? Look, I think there's a reason why this isn't the novel of Bram Stoker's that people talk about. Right. That being said, this movie's pretty dope. No, I I enjoy this film for (laughs) the reasons we'll get into here in a little while. But I just like there's some interesting things, you know, that he wanted to play with and then considering he is, you know, literally from this area. Mm-hmm. It's like they're just playing with some of the folklore, and you can have fun with it, too, with Bram Stoker, because, or Bram Stoker, because he wanted to do a, a Dracula-based film, and that's why this was suggested instead. So anyway, with that being said, I think it's interesting, because that was Bram Stoker's last novel as well, before his yeah. death, which is interesting. So they had all kinds of neat Was it even published while he was alive, or was it published posthumously? Do you know? That I couldn't tell you for sure. I don't want to say yay or nay either way, because I'm not really sure. I'm going to look it up real quick. Yeah, no worries. Oh, published the year before his death. Oh, damn. Damn. So maybe not the high note you want to go out on, but not the worst either. So another thing, like the foreshadowing at the party was super Mm -hmm. obvious. The one that I didn't catch until the second time around, which once Ken Russell is an amazing filmmaker, and I think he was very much had this in mind. When Sylvia Marsh first finds the skull, mm-hmm. there's forced perspective in that shot that makes the skull the size of the one that's going to be at the end. Yeah, exactly. It looks a lot larger than when it is. Yeah, which you're right. That's really clever. And now I was like, oh, shit, that's really cool. Yeah, no, there's several foreshadowing moments. Yeah, if you're if you're catching on to them, it's like, oh, okay, that's really neat. So that being one of them, I like those psychedelic moments like because in that same sequence where Lady uh, Marsh is now you know, back at her estate mm-hmm. and she learns about the discovery of the skull, <laughs> she goes and gets it. She also sees the imagery... The crucifix on the wall. Oh, right. Spits at it. So I realized, even though I hadn't seen this movie before, I've definitely seen small clips and, like, screen grabs. Because I've seen her in the fucking snake lady paint. Yep. And I've seen her hissing at that fucking crucifix before. Yeah. And then I think, too, if, if people are more familiar with, like, the cover and stuff, she's also coming out of that basket in her pose and the, oh, the right. black outfit. So that's another kind of, if you will, an iconic image from this film. What that sets up... Is you know after it was Eve and well, in this case it's it's Oxenberg and and um, Hugh Grant's character they come back from the party and she's upstairs and she's already she's like fucking touched it and she right. starts to trip out and then that's like okay that's where it starts to get like all right I'm in it now I'm like I'm all in this film because that's some trippy shit there's some sexy stuff going on forced yeah rape i mean, just go ahead and say it but yeah but that's kind of what he he likes to play with is using like catholicism and attaching it to also the like the roman times and stuff and christianity mm-hmm. and what have you that's his way of kind of like rebelling against the church and stuff like that he's kind of i mean his whole film the devils is about that shit so but there's a lot of foreshadowing in that right well and a lot of not necessarily well it's 
exposition that you don't that too yeah yeah you don't Without realize it's exposition until it's put into context later when you hear the full story and you're like that's what we saw okay <laughs> yeah and that makes sense that makes total sense yeah because uh there's some yeah there's some later expo that's like oh there's people who inhabit our spirits that inhabit bodies mm-hmm. repeatedly it's like oh that's fucked up <laughs> yeah that's pretty wild but like just the imagery of like the fucking crucifix with the white fucking snake, the white worm. Yeah, the worm. <laughs> As we're on the earworm network, but <laughs> I know how freaking wild is that shit. But I mean, the one on the cross looks more like a snake when I think yeah. it's supposed to. Makes due sense. to this, also like then you're putting Satan against Jesus, that sort of idea. I mean, the name even Mary. Right, well, Eve and Mary, and to jump forward in the movie, when she hypnotizes Eve, what Eve has to do is help her down out of the tree. Yeah, that's pretty wild, isn't it? That's re- I mean, but it's really well done, right? That, yeah, I mean, if you're going to play with all this iconography, and yeah, it, it makes total sense. It's on the nose once you notice it, right. but I didn't notice it the first time through. But it's I was like, good. that's awkward that she's up there. And then I was like, oh, her name's Eve. Mm-hmm. Mm, gotcha. The snake, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's good. It's clever as fuck. Can't hate on it, right? I even like some of the, the play on some real characters in, in terms of history's sake because uh, they talk about, who is it, uh, Marcus Gracius, Acrosius of Mercia. And I was like, well, that's a real figure. Now everything else is probably a little exaggerated. You right. know what I mean? But it's like, that's still kind of neat because I didn't realize that was, it was known as Mercia way back when. It's like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> Learned something here. But anyhow, um, a little bit later on in the film, it's not much later on. The, the thing that re- I think really starts to set things in motion is once the girls retrieve their father's watch. That's kind of like, progressing like what happened to their parents right you know we learned that they went missing and all this other stuff and they run that bed and breakfast and which i think that name the mercy farm that that's like something that's actually used in the novel if i'm not mistaken oh okay i did read a little bit about that which is i was like okay there's you know a little loose connection there that's kind of cool but once that kind of starts to kick off at least at lady marsh's back she this is kind of neat too like kind of if you're not really paying attention the first time around, it's easy to miss. Is after uh, who is it? Capaldi's character and Sammy Davis's character. They're going through the shortcut. She talks about her parents used to take and all this stuff. And then that's when they see the headlights of the car. Now I have to admit, the cars in this film are fucking dope as shit. Yeah, every single one of them were dope mm-hmm. as fuck. And it startles her a little bit because Capaldi put the moves on her, <laughs> you know. And they ring up the police constable ernie goes checks it out he gets bitten out in the woods right and then of course she appears she being sylvia marsh Mm -hmm. and she sucks the venom out of him but that kind of sets things emotions right there we don't know that quite yet so thinking about it in hindsight she's talking about how the snake should have been hibernating she wasn't the one to bite him originally i think it was the mom or the dad i think you're right Which makes sense because they are, it was probably, I, I would I think it was probably the mom. I think you're right. Which would make sense. And they're like, we wouldn't know that 
And at that time, you know, she's having like also, such a good amount. We don't know how the power structure works. Uh, yeah, so it would make sense if she tried to get rid of her venom to replace it with her own mm -hmm. so that she maintained power over both of them. I was like, that makes more sense. Yeah, because if we're playing on that hierarchy, mm -hmm. <laughs> it would make a lot more sense. Which I think there are some implications later on. I mean, you can probably you can probably correct me or from anywhere in the right direction, you can steer me right. But um, it has to do with Capaldi a little bit later on in the film. Like, okay, so we'll, we'll get into it a little bit later on. But anyhow, like so this is starting to set things in motion, right? He checks it out a little bit later on. She runs into that kid in the road, takes him back, does all that stuff. You know, that part was all kind of funny. It doesn't matter to the rest of the plot really no. other than us getting a scene afterwards showing how terrible of a fucking liar she is when talking <laughs> to Hugh Grant. Yeah. But it's the way she plays it up. But I like the entire time I'm sitting there looking at that scene and I'm like, at what point are you already starting to try to make moves when a strange lady is giving you a ride home and then changes into lingerie? Dude. And you're just hanging out playing snakes and ladders. You're playing some other stuff. Like, yeah, I'm like, I'm not saying get all rapey or anything. <laughs> no. Don't get me wrong. But at a certain point, like, signals are being sent, right? Right. Um, I saw... <laughs> she, she didn't, oh, like, man. she didn't dry her clothes and wrap you in a blanket and then get changed into some sweats because no. she's home. Now, uh, this, is, this, is, <laughs> this is a film and this is all hypothetical. But if you were that kid in that situation and Chris Hansen came out... <laughs> I'm like, you got to skip this one, dog. <laughs> Let me have it. <laughs> Let me have it, Chris Hansen. I'm ready for this one. <laughs> yeah, this is wild. But no, <laughs> there's some interesting wordplay, too, on that in that car ride between the two because she mm. asked him if he's good at anything. He's like, pretty good at the mouth organ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of interesting because that does set some things up. As clever and as sly and as sexual as that is. When he does play the harmonica, it starts to charm her because she's like about to put a CD on, and she's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> that also made me laugh though, because like, it's silly. In, in what world does somebody go, "Man, we should put on some music," and you just pull out your fucking harmonica? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like that, it's it's not believable. But granted, that kid is goofy as shit the whole time. Right. He's not thinking anything sexual. And if it, he is, it fits for how the kid's been acting the entire time. Exactly. That's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like he's not really thinking in those terms like right. the rest of us that are thinking. <laughs> Which, like, yo, she goes off on the she end about how she. Bath. <laughs> she goes off on the end of how she needs a fucking virgin sacrifice. There you go, bro. Yeah. It needs to be a chick, though, right? Doesn't yeah. she specifically yeah. say that at some point? Yeah. I, well, it would make sense in the context of this film, too. Yeah. But you, you need a virgin sacrifice. You found it. Yeah, all day long. Homeboy ain't getting laid. Nah, <laughs> nah, not anytime soon. <laughs> but that's a tell sign. Like that's letting you know that she is a snake or she's being charmed. She <laughs> knocked that shit off. It freaks me out. <laughs> Shit's fucking funny too. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know of course he gets succumbed to. Also, like, let's point out that, like, snake charmers work because that fucking flute is moving, not because of the sound yeah, they're, it's making. They're, yeah, they're honing on in the movement, you're right. Like, they give a fuck. That does get played with a little bit with the bagpipes later, though. Yeah. 
I don't know if he was instructed to or the policeman just knew that, but like when he sways that back and forth, he follows it. Like Yeah, somebody somebody was clever. Somebody yeah. was catching on. You're right. That's really cool. It's like the little details, but you're right. Later a little bit later on, right after she does away with the kid, that's when Hugh Grant shows up. They have their little nightcap. She plays up her being so, despondent. I wonder if all reed instruments work then. That seems to be what it's implying, right? Perhaps. Perhaps. Woodwinds? Yeah. Woodwinds yeah. and reeds? That's what, it, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so vampires, vampire snake ladies are really into like EDM instead? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> that's funny. Like I said, they have their little nightcap. He dozes off, and in his dream state, this kind of gets interesting, right? He has this... <laughs> that dream is so fucking funny. <laughs> he, he's on a private jet, and Sylvia is one of the stewardesses. And she's, you know, she's getting sexy with him and all that stuff. And is he doing the, the crossword at the same time? Is it, is it in that sequence? He's he's, in yeah, it? he's doing the crossword, okay. except it's not a crossword. It's a connect no. the dots, and the connect the dots ends up doing it's a, a snake. snake. Right. And, and little details, again, even their little emblems on their, yeah, their stewardess like hats are it's, coiled snakes and it, shit. It's really, yeah, it's like all of that stuff, it's, it's clever. It's telling some things, some other things, too, but... <laughs> In that dream sequence, though, Eve is in it with her as the stewardess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the the ring signifies something to him. They have that tussle, which is funny. It's like, all right, that's silly. She's trying to get him to drink the absinthe as well. Mm-hmm. So I guess you can imply maybe that's like the venom as well. Perhaps. Well, if you think about the way that he acts after this dream, I think it also implies that he is meant, like he's some sort of fucking whether he knows it or not, like a Sherlock Holmes detective yeah. and puts it all together. And Absolutely. the way he's acting the rest of the movie is just confirming what he thinks because of this dream. Right, because when he wakes up, he gets startled out of his dream state mm-hmm. by his butler. And the butler... Although, arguably, from what we see in the dream, yeah. I kind of feel like he was heading towards waking anyway. I think so, because... It, the imagery right. that we were being shown. He was right. leaving it. Like. Because the leg comes out, and it's a very sexy leg, but the mm-hmm. thing that tips it off is the ring. And he knows it, it's Eve, and he's walking out right into that blackness, if you will, which you could say that's a cave, mm-hmm. maybe. And, yeah, anyhow, the, the long story short of it is, is the newspaper article from that morning shows the cave from the search. And it has a striking a striking resemblance to a painting on the wall. Of his ancestor. Right, with the worm in the cave and all that stuff. And it's like, oh, yes, this it's rumored. That's where it happened. Like, no shit, really? <laughs> <laughs> so once again, that starts to set some things off and in motion. What, they go into the, those caves. They kind of figure out, like, this is where the watch was found. It sparks a little something off, and Hugh grants his mind. He's like, hmm, show me where that's at. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we learn what that means a bit later on in the film. Well, it's at, at this point where he's even like, what about a giant one? Yeah. It's like something eats someone whole. Uh, hello. Yeah, shit it out. <laughs> hello. Makes yeah. sense. He's figured this shit out. Yeah, he's not he done. You're right. He, this is like confirming all his it. suspicions. Especially because you have to confirm this. You can't just say it. What kind of fucking dream is that? (laughs) Well, you can't just tell somebody, like, yo, this is what's going on. There's a Roman snake cult. 
It's like, let me just try to confirm some of these suspicions on my own before I start saying this shit out loud. <laughs> but it's neat because at, at a certain point, even though the guys initially, they it appears like they're not really seeing eye to eye. They're kind of, mm-hmm. you know, doing that whole thing. But they come to terms like, okay, this is what we need to do. This is this is what's happening. And One of the weirdly sad things about this movie is with the way it ends and how they were actually becoming like really fun buddy buddy and That's actually kind of had really good yeah. chemistry. Because it doesn't appear that way at the beginning. Like when they first have that interaction, it's like, it, it's very innocent. It's like, oh, he doesn't really care. He's like, I'm, I hope you like digging in mm-hmm. the yard. I hope you like digging through cow shit. <laughs> hope it's fun. <laughs> I don't really care. Um, you know, but that could be taken, you know, as a little bit of a slot. Who, who cares? The whole point is, like you said, at the end, they, they become kind of tight. Yeah. And it works because of what we, what we see, the resolve, if you will. What we learn, what we discover through all these encounters, it starts to make sense that Lady Marsh has something to do with it, right? Because of where the parents disappear, what's been happening, just too many weird coincidences. What I'm discovering in, in this film, too, is like what I liked about it is Hugh Grant starting to figure stuff out. They're starting to make some plans about the cave, Lady Marsh. They're going to charm her, all this stuff, because the butler happens to have or he knows about Hugh Grant's dad's, like, his yeah. his whatever, his record collection, and they're starting to play some Turkish music. And it's like, oh, yes, there's a mm-hmm. story attached to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it's pretty funny if you're paying attention to what he's trying to say. Yeah. Um, he's like, all right. But what they're trying to do is trying to draw her out of her home. And it appears to work because Capaldi and, who is it, Mary, they go into the home. They see the statue, and he's like, that's kind of weird that she would have this particular statue when we just found this skull dating back to this time period right, alongside the this coins and, and yeah what's the fuck <laughs> and uh yeah so there's some weird fishy shit going on but what we find or what we discover is mary's mom and eve's mom is watching this woman snake charm handling whatever uh but she's one of the vampiric snake things snake ladies yeah because she bites mary and uh, Mary has a vision that goes through the television. <laughs> but what I'm thinking, too, is like what she's suffering in that is kind of like it goes back to what Eve was experiencing earlier on, too, with her vision. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, these Romans were raping these, I guess, I don't know, these nuns and stuff. So we know that it's mm, Lady Marsha's dialogue implies that. Eve is a reincarnated one of those nuns. Right. That and that's, they built the covenant. And that would be yeah. why she saw those visions. And that makes sense. So does this then imply that Mary is also one of the reincarnated nuns? Yeah, or if we're playing, yeah. I, I don't know, because they're because, playing with the names, too. Right. You know? It's hard to tell for sure. Yeah, Or if because, it's just because that's what... I mean, this, they show us the crucifixion of Jesus in the fucking scene with Eve. Mm-hmm. Even though they're they're mixing it on top of uh, the covenant in that, you know, I, I guess building over the old pagan, um, was it Dionan? Yeah, Dionan. Yeah, that that whole temple or whatever, right? So they're mixing like different time periods too, and they're mixing the names and the reincarnation because they do bring that up in Expo mm-hmm. as well. So perhaps it's just a thing about history, and yeah, who knows? But regardless, it's kind of interesting. 
Oh uh, yeah, it doesn't really matter either way. Either it's way, either way, it's fucked up that like yeah, because what I hit by that venom makes you think makes you <laughs> yeah, see fucking see fucked that? up soldier rave. Yeah, was, that's basically what was happening. They were and fucking impalement blowies. <laughs> that's some crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, that ain't a lollipop. No, no, that was fucking fucked up. Yeah, it was. Yeah, there's some wild. That's the shit best going on impalement there. I've seen since Cannibal Holocaust. There's some wild stuff going on in there, dude. Like this, this is crazy. I'm all for it. I loved it. I was all for it. All right, that's going on in the house. Um, Capaldi, he's starting to figure out some stuff, right? At the same time, Hugh Grant's getting some visitors because the power gets cut out. Mm-hmm. And during their conversation, being Capaldi and Hugh Grant while they're on the phone is they're like, "Oh, you can hear like, oh, uh, her mother. Okay, that's." Oh, and then he's starting to figure out, I was like, oh, well, maybe that's not, it's not Sylvia Marsh who's coming. It's actually the mother who's coming because the butler gets it. She jumps out in the shadows. He swings his sword and gets her like it was foreshadowed earlier in the Mm -hmm. film. The only difference is he trips over those drum, that drum kit. That was pretty funny. Well, the difference (laughs) is he didn't get the worm. Right. He got this, yeah, he got. He got a servant of the worm. Yeah. So, like, the the symbolism still holds up. Right, right, right. But it's not the same. You're right, right. I guess out of that, too, they're they're figuring out, like, okay, what else is going on? Like, Peter Capaldi sucked the venom out of Mary. That helped her out of that whole straight. Strangely wild that that worked. Well, that's kind of what I'm getting at, too, is, like, that typically is never going to work, right? Especially not as weirdly cleanly as he did it, where he, like... Finds the glass and it's just like pure venom. Well, that's what I'm kind of getting under. I'm kind of like, all right, because there's implications with this whole serum and antidote shit later on. And I'm wondering if that right there is already like, maybe he already was, I don't know, maybe he was impervious to this stuff. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, like, how, that doesn't make any sense how he could do that, just spit it out without being infected himself or tripping or something. Something. Right, it, that doesn't make much sense, but I don't, maybe it doesn't need to make sense. Maybe we're reading too much into it. Yeah. But that, I did have a little bit of concern with that. Like, that doesn't make much sense. But anywho, anywho, what they're trying to set up now is they're, um, well, actually what happens is fucking the PC comes by because he's going to take Mary down to the station. Yeah, and they have their talk, and yeah. he accidentally... He doesn't know how to construct a life for the situation. No, he doesn't know what she he's knows. Never, he does. Yeah, he's never been in this situation. And so he slips up and mentions that the mom's body was also found there. Like, hmm. And she's like, nah, I know her mom just got killed. Yeah, so there's some fishy shit going on. But what really tips it off is he's getting... <laughs> We're going to get Sylvia Marsh's first. That doesn't make sense. You're not going to drive with somebody down the station together. Not in that car either. No. It's not, not like he has a spacious police car. Why would you have somebody who's being accused of something ride with somebody of the victim of? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So, yeah, anyway, his story's not met, lining up. We find out he's another one of the subservients. And what draws him out is the bagpipes. Mm-hmm. And I had to turn my TV down because that shit's loud as fuck. <laughs> but I was like, that, this is too funny. This is too funny. But it works. It draws him out. Did you catch it, too? I'm like, man, he must have a really good sense of humor about his appearance because he gets impaled on his fucked up eye. 
And he got it impaled on his fucked up eye, but also snake eye. <laughs> yeah, snake eye. That's so fucked up, isn't it? That's like, that's another double. Maybe that's a triple entendre. <laughs> that's, that's so wild. But I think out of that is where he... he, he also, quality. that looked good. It did look really good. That whole chase sequence, as silly as it was, it did have a good resolve. That that little bit of gore was decent. Mm-hmm. But Capaldi, I think he's starting to draw like some of the anti-venom, the serum, if you will. But we're going to learn that's... Nah. <laughs> he uses a mongoose. Where did he get the mongoose? It was taxidermied, oh. fighting the king cobra in her home. Okay. Interesting. What it just comes to life, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't worry because. Oh right, there was the. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. That yeah, that live, that mongoose. the live mongoose. I don't fucking know. That's what I was like. I, I don't know, but it didn't work regardless. All I did was draw her out, Sylvia Marsh. Like the backpipes didn't work because she was wearing earplugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, modern convenience, and she wants to bite them. She drags him back down to the cave where she's got. She's got Mary. She's got Eve. She got Eve from the garden earlier, mm-hmm. right? All right. She's going to sacrifice Eve now. She got Eve from the garden. Yeah. Uh, she's <laughs> going to sacrifice it to the white worm. A very phallic symbol. So first she was definitely going to like pretty much rape her to death. Yeah. Which was like, what's the fucking point she of getting that virgin? Up, she just set that to... thing up earlier too when she was like in the sun, mm-hmm. her little sunbed. And she's like feeling her. She's like, oh, you have been a good girl. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh. But then she brings out that wooden cock. <laughs> and you're like, oh, she was going to rape her. Well, and that's one of the things. Like, if you were paying attention to the crazy shit with yeah. Roman soldiers, they, they were, were setting all, that up mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah. That's, so you know what's them. coming. But that's the thing. It's like, why get the fucking virgin sacrifice if you're just going to rail them with, in, yeah. with the fucking iron spike before throwing her in there yeah I don't know I mean, that's fucked up but you know it doesn't work because Capaldi comes to he starts to saw oh I want to okay I want to point out one other thing though yeah. about about fucking Marsh in this scene and I'm going to preface it <laughs> by saying ladies do what you want with your bodies I'm not against that She's rocking the pit hair in that scene. Yeah, oh yeah. In this specific instance, I'm going to be against pit hair because she's supposed to be a snake lady. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. Operative word being snake. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, don't I think know this is one of the only one. times where I'm like, like, good for her, but... Right, but for the sake of... For the sake of this character, that doesn't make any amount of sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. But you're right. It's probably more like, I'm not shaving. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't fine, give a fuck. Cool, good for you. Okay, cool. Or just like making a choice for the character that, to yeah. me, doesn't scream snake, but like, maybe she had a reason for it. Maybe she uh, did it for the character. Perhaps like, I don't know. Cool. I, but to it, me, it doesn't scream snake. No, it doesn't. It screams the opposite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but who knows? <laughs> what it amounts to is she gets sacrificed instead. Lady Marsh gets sacrificed. Eve gets saved. Okay. Big thing about first off. He fucking hacks through her hand, right? Yes. Somehow, when he starts hacking at her hand, she is holding on with two hands. Yet somehow, while getting just cut let's go. on one, she just lets go with the other. Yeah, I'm like, uh, she can pull the switcheroonie. 
make them go after the other one. Maybe switch yeah, back and that's forth. What kinda, yeah, exactly. It's like, if you're going to get one, you're going to have to get both of them. Yeah, you've got to have some sort of crazy snake lady strength, right? Like, you would think. She's immortal. She's a, like a high priestess. Were you just slacking on fucking cardio all those years? I suppose, like, man. I don't know. Like, she like was if doing I'm immortal, I'm body. taking care of myself. Like, you had all the time. She's at least a thousand years. Think how much cool shit you could do if you were in shape, immortal. Damn, yeah, yeah, dude. You just take the slow walk up Everest. <laughs> like, <laughs> I got time. I got time. <laughs> got nowhere to be. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, Capaldi had a little trick up his sleeve. But the other big thing about this scene. Did Dagon just strip right, straight, straight rip this off? Perhaps. Oh, think about the similarity. HP. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, the only difference is frog people or fish people versus snake people. I mean, perhaps, man. Maybe there's some barbed motifs. Yeah, I could see that. Like, you already talked about one of them. Mm-hmm. He's probably a fan of. <laughs> but I, it wouldn't surprise me, man. Honestly, like we've we've already talked about people's influences growing up, and that's probably why you see the, you know, the militaristic, mm-hmm. you know, gear and soldiers and all this other stuff, uh, religious iconography and what have you. It's a part of his background. It's pretty obvious. But I'm sure there's some other things in here too that he sprinkled in that we were probably just not privy to. <laughs> But just like the sacrifice and the way it's set up and yeah. the fucking worm, the way it comes up, I was just like, uh, it's like I'm watching Dagon again. It does feel a lot like it. Yeah, Snake that's Snake people versus fish people. Right at the end, yeah, because you consider who was being sacrificed. I mean, not that she was a virgin, but there's still a, a sacrifice. And, I don't yeah. want to be a sacrifice. <laughs> I know. Nope. <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, what, I, what I really think is interesting in that, this is what Ken Russell says. I guess people can read into it because it's a little ambiguous. But at the end, we learn that Capaldi, he gets a phone call. Right. And he learns that there was a mistake at the lab. Like the lady who's calling, she's like, yeah, it was my fault. The Fucked up. Serum, gave you the wrong thing. Yeah, the serum that I gave you is actually for arthritis. <laughs> she's like, I'll get you the antidote, the real one tomorrow. Well, he's already been chewing up. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And he already gave Mary a shot as well. Well, I love the other thing that you hear her say, and it's like, Andy, no, there's no, there's no chance it would be of any help against snake bites. <laughs> We're <laughs> not going to have to worry year. about that this time of year, yeah, are we? I'm like, oh shit! Right. So, what does that imply? Because he's been bitten. Mary's been bitten. He gave Eve the shot as well. Well, he dosed himself up thinking that it would, yeah, that would help, mm-hmm. you know? So that's what I'm, I'm wondering is like, well, when he sucked the venom out earlier, did that already give him some kind of like protection or I, I don't know. I don't think so. That's what I'm saying. That's the only thing I could make I think sense of it. supposed to imply that he's now snake person. That's what I was getting. That's what it implies. But the Ken Russell is like, no, that was more of just like, just being humorous. I'm like, ah, uh, No, know. fuck off, because here's the other thing. I don't know about thing. that, dude. <laughs> it's not a mirroring to the beginning of the movie, but when Marsh... Oh, here's the other thing. The family in the book, the, the chick is... Her, the name isn't Marsh. I don't know what it is. It's like Salted or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marsh is one of the names of the families in Innsmouth. Damn, dude. <laughs> 
okay, yeah, this is not a coincidence. I don't believe it. So I think he both like looked to Lovecraft, but then I think later on, when they were making Dagon, they looked to this movie. I could see that for sure. And it would make sense, granted, you mm-hmm. know, borrowing ideas and what have you. Considering the subject matter, too, uh, you know. Yeah, might as well. Anyway, anyway. Yeah, I'll... who's going to connect the dots back then? <laughs> but what I was saying about the, the finding the bites, when almost like the like the closing moment of of Marsh picking up the boy... And it's like the quick thing that happens, it's like a quick cut before it quick cuts to them in the house is her fucking upping the skirt oh, yeah. a little bit. Hey, like, yeah. I'm going to seduce you. We get, it's kind of a reveal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? The reveal at the end is he gets his kilt hurt hiked up. <laughs> yeah. And you see the bites. And you're like, so this is mirroring a scene in your fucking movie, whether you want it to or not. I, exactly. No, that's a solid point. And from what I understood, too, maybe not heavily, but it's right, there. But it especially with there. the way they're growing down at the end. It only makes sense, dude. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this is kind of what I've understood, is there was talks for a potential sequel to this. Mm. And as a part of that, it was going to be kind of like a buddy-buddy between these two characters. Oh, that's dope. Going through the countryside, drawing out these kind of worms and other things. Fucking thank you for telling me that because I was going to say at the end, like, you know, I wish they would do a sequel to this. Yeah, I mean, there was... <laughs> Where it was just them going on an adventure. For real, that's kind of... I listened to a, a podcast and I was doing some some loose reading earlier about this film. And that's something I came across a couple of different times. I was like, that sounded pretty interesting because they had good chemistry. And it's no coincidence that they both happened to play doctors. Now, one, of course, we talked mm-hmm. with Hugh weird, Grant being... Weird situation. Yeah, not really a doctor, but, but kind right. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a, a true doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But nonetheless, they they had chemistry. And not just that, but like I said, I'm pretty sure the way the film portrays Dampton's character is that he kind of Sherlocked it. Exactly. I would love to see that going forward, where like he Sherlocks these weird supernatural occurrences, yeah. but it's hard to understand exactly what's going on from these fucking dreams. And yeah. so he's having to still go and confirm and, and figure That's out pretty bit wild. by bit yeah. as like a supernatural detective. That would and be guess a really what? cool bent. I would say vamp out fucking Capaldi. Yeah. And have him be kind of like um, zombie Nick Frost at the end <laughs> of <laughs> I was like, you know, he, you could play with all kinds of cool things. It's like he's, you're right, with... um. Hugh Grant's character, like, having these visions, these fever dreams, mm-hmm. <laughs> piecing together these mysteries or whatever. But and then having a supernatural partner with him, <laughs> it'd be kind of cool. Uh, not going to lie. Now, here's something interesting, too, is that Hugh Grant uh, doesn't really think highly of this film. Oh, I bet he, he doesn't. He didn't really know how to how to make it. Like, he talked about... You know, seeing it at the theater, and it was kind of getting, you know, the laughs and things like that. And he, I don't know, he just, uh, he wasn't uh, really thrilled about. It. I, don't I think blame, he did fine. I, I think, think he did fine. I think he it. did a yeah. really good job, actually. I love that opening salvo between him and Capaldi, That's great. where he's managing to be charming and a dick all at once. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like earlier on the film, it's kind of set up a little like that. He's clever, but he's kind of being a little bit of a dick. I No, I thought he did a good job. I kind of understand him not necessarily <laughs> digging this movie, though, because, like, 
as I was thinking about this movie, when I got done watching it for the second time earlier today, yeah. I was like, well, I dug this movie. I don't know who I would fucking recommend it to. I know. I think you would have to be a fan of Russell, Ken Russell, that is, and probably like some English folklore, things like that. Probably, honestly, I, I would recommend this to people who just like probably folklore in general. Mm. It would probably fit into some of that mold, like very, very loosely. Very loosely, but yeah, I mean, it's there a little bit. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I don't know. I think if you just like kind of Somebody off who's the beaten bored path with normal vampire films. Yeah, if, if you like some psychedelia in your films and nun exploitation. But once some of again, that. we're talking some like pretty narrow fucking categories. You have to know who you are recommending it to. Right. This is not one that you can just throw out there loosely and no you gotta know your audience for this mm-hmm. yeah otherwise what the fuck was that cause that's one I would love to recommend but it's hard to think of I mean there's a couple I people I can think of I guess but right only and they cause they're it. only cause they're into film in general not necessarily cause I think they would particularly like this movie yeah no, dude I wouldn't recommend this to just some Joe Schmo no that I don't know <laughs> nah I mean I'm gonna tell like I'll tell the world about this film, but... I'll tell my fucking co-workers, like, this movie's fucking wild, bro. <laughs> yeah. Some shit goes on with Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So you definitely want to get high for those ones. <laughs> but I don't recommend it. Yeah, but there's, I do. There's a <laughs> fucking banger of a tune earlier on in this. <laughs> I'm going to listen to that again. I Like, it was fun, man. There's I kind of some... like that song, except for <sighs> there's a fucking terrible rhyme in it. What's the rhyme? Oh, shit, I don't know. It's, uh... I will say it kind of works because the guy has an accent anyway. Yeah. But it, even with the accent, he has to stretch it. Let me look it up real quick. Right, no worries. And when at night it crawled about a looking for some booze, it fell dry upon the road. It milked a dozen coos. <laughs> cows. Yeah. <laughs> That's so hot. Yeah. Coos and cows. I thought because it was already such a sexy movie that he was going to say something about coups. I know. All right. Especially because folk songs can get kind of dirty sometimes. Yeah. They say they say anything about booze in there? Booze and... Yeah, yeah booze, booze was then cows. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> booze was rhymed with cows. Yeah, no, I don't think By so. By stretching... Even... Like I said, even with the accent, that's a stretch. Booze and cows. Man, I don't know. Booze and coos. That's like See, something. I want just I I that's booze and coos make sense. Yeah, exactly. I've I've been out on the town looking for booze and coos. Yeah, boobs. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. That's a stretch for real, for real. No, I you know what I think is really cool about this too. And if you really want to maybe get a, another glimpse into some of Ken Russell from this time period too, is the film he did before this is a film called Gothic. And okay. it's about Mary Shelley and Bram Stoker and that little dinner party they had where they came up with the ideas for Frankenstein mm. and Dracula. That's what that film's about. And it has Julian Sands. It has Peter Gay. Um, I was almost like Peter Gabriel. Peter Warlock's <laughs> Julian Sands. Gabriel Byrne. <laughs> yeah. Gabriel Byrne's in it. Uh, several others. But it's about that dinner party. But told through the vision of Ken Russell. So there's going to be some psychedelic shit going on in there. Um, I'm kind of curious about it, but it's like, you know, that would be a pretty interesting, maybe jump into his, you know, maybe like 
the Who's Tommy, <laughs> maybe a little bit more mainstream. But yeah, that one's um, I've been told is really good too. But I've seen Altered States. I really like um, that one too. Sorry, uh, not Bram Stoker. Oh no no, it's a, it's a Polinari who wrote The Vampire. Who is it? Um, and Mary Shelley. Right, Mary Shelley. It, is this person? No, not Percy Shelley. Uh, uh, Lord Byron. Oh yeah. It's like yeah, it's a whole dinner party. Oh and oh and Percy Bryce Shelley. Okay. Yeah yeah. That was the, okay. Yeah yeah. That makes more sense. Um, but I'm like I'm still kind of curious about that because of the cast. I'm surprised I haven't seen it, but because of the time period, I know it's going to be a little off kilter. And I'm starting to really dig that about certain 80s films because it starts to make me feel how I used to feel when I was a kid finding these kind of films. Like, ooh, I'm, I shouldn't be watching this, but I really like it. Oh, yeah, this looks good. I'm going to have to check out Gothic, dude. I think it might be on TV. Good to know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it is a really cool entry point into Ken Russell's works. It's an interesting way for us. That's my, like, I'm still also, if you want to get introduced into Ken Russell, go Tom. Oh, man, I want to say this. If you really, really want to see, like, maybe the peak of him is a good checkout. No, Altered Um, States. Um, The Devils. Oh, The Devils. Yeah. Well, we'll do The Devils at some point. Yeah, but Altered States awesome, too. That's a whole different category, but yeah. We'll end up hitting both of those on here at some point, but. Yeah, so those are some really fun films. This one is a really interesting Entry because this is one I've been wanting to see for a while, mainly because I knew Vestron put it out. Mm. Uh, I've got a couple films by Vestron. They actually put out The Gate, which we did with Donnie. Right. There's a couple other films in there, Maximum Overdrive. We talked about Little Monsters. Mm-hmm. Actually, the reason why Vestron was a part of this in the first place is they struck a three picture deal with Ken Russell, which I talked about Gothic. That was one of the other films. And the third one in this was Women in Love, The Rainbow, mm-hmm. which that was the film that came out in 89 starring Sammy Davis and a few others but yeah dude this is kind of a neat way of getting introduced to this film like I said it's been on my radar for a while I know this is part of the reason why we do the show too so I'm glad we finally got around to it we know what we're doing next week yeah we do and uh, it's gonna be a fun one it's gonna be a, a revisit revisit just a reminder if you didn't listen to a few episodes ago and we <laughs> decided to start this next week will be our first proper reanimated episode. Proper being, you're going to have to get on the Patreon if you want to listen to it. Yeah, it's now it's time if you're going to do it. We will be uh, looking back through our old catalog slowly, one a month, every fourth episode. And so next week will be Visitor Q. Wow. If you want to hear that, the Patreon once again. But otherwise, if you're not on the Patreon, then it's just going to be an off week. And then we'll be back after that. Coincidentally. Uh, And we have that one picked so we can tell you and you can get ready to hear us talk about it. Is it Lesson of Evil or Lesson of the Evil? I've seen it listed as both. Me too. But I don't know. I think you could look at it either way. It's Takashi Miike, regardless. Lesson of the Evil, Lesson of Evil. Either way, as long as it's one of those names directed by Takashi Miike, you're you're looking at the right movie. You're good. Watch the trailer, too, so you know what you're going to get yourself into. I mean, we don't know. We haven't watched it yet. (laughs) We haven't. We've only watched the trailer, trailer. and it sold us. That's what I'm saying. We're like, oh, Ah, fuck. Yeah, so we're giving you a little bit of a heads up. That'll be two weeks off. That one will be for everybody. Like I said, visitor queue in between. But for this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried squirms. Out. Out.
Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace. <laughs>